This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, December 23rd. I'm Virginia Allen. Christmas is in two days. And as always, most Americans are pretty busy this week, finishing up last-minute shopping, wrapping gifts, and hopefully just taking some time to enjoy family. And while we've all been doing that, Congress has also been busy. While Democrats are trying to push a massive spending bill through Congress, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky visited D.C. to meet with the president and deliver a speech to Congress. So why now? Victoria Coates is a senior research fellow in international affairs and national security at the Heritage Foundation. She joins us on the show today to discuss why Zelensky came to America now, what he is asking Congress for, and just how involved America should be in the war effort moving forward. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to politics and policy. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also problematic on social media, so be sure to follow us on Instagram. Today, we are joined by author, scholar, and senior research fellow in international affairs and national security at the Heritage Foundation, Victoria Coates. Victoria, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, Virginia. On Wednesday, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky met with President Biden here in D.C., and he delivered an address to Congress. This was actually the first time that Zelensky had left Ukraine since the fighting began about uh, 300 days ago. So the timing of this was really interesting. It was definitely not an accident. Why did Zelensky come to America this week? Well, it, it is my opinion, and obviously they're not consulting with me, but from what I've seen, uh, he came because he had to. Uh, with, you know, President Biden insisted that he come. He dangled the Patriot as a incent- an incentive. And you know, if, if Zelensky is trying to protect his own people, he has no choice but to come. But I think it, it's, it was very, very clear throughout the day yesterday that the Biden administration was framing this as a partisan issue. Zelensky, to my knowledge, met primarily with the president and with Democrats and obviously had his interactions with both Pelosi and Harris, uh, you know, when he was at the Congress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me was just, and I think the whole point was to force through the $1.7 trillion omnibus uh, that's the president's kind of last hurrah of gigantic spending before Pelosi gives up the gavel and it includes $46 billion for Ukraine. So they're basically forcing that issue uh, to try to get the rest of the Omni through. Yeah. Well, and uh, like you mentioned, I mean, it was interesting to see some of those asks that were were made, conversations happening during his address to, to Congress. Zelensky thanked America for its financial support, um, and he added this per C-SPAN. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. 
Now, like you mentioned, Congress is considering giving Ukraine some 40 plus billion dollars for the war effort. How much has America given Ukraine during the war so far? Well, we're already north of 60 billion. And an important point is that only 18 billion, I believe, of that has been spent. So there's really no reason to force this through now uh, and, and, you know, burden the American taxpayer sort of preemptively with this expenditure. You know, you could wait till the next Congress, but President Biden is busy framing this as a binary choice. You either support his Ukraine policy with a blank check, an undated blank check, or you're a Putin sympathist. And, you know, I think we at the Heritage Foundation believe that is a false choice and that it is perfectly possible to not uh, not want to appease Vladimir Putin to see the value uh, of a Ukraine allied with the West, but also to be fiscally conservative and concerned that the Biden administration has no policy to win this war. Uh, and you know, one thing I wanted to get into a little bit is they've done two things that are directly counter to their declared policy of, of unconditional support for uh, Ukraine. One is the Green New Deal policies that they jammed through in the ill-named Inflation Reduction Act. And there's lots more of it in the omnibus. Uh, one thing, for example, is environmental justice. Got a billion dollars in the IRA. Gets somewhere around, I think, another hundred million in the Omni. Uh, all the environmental justice warriors do is tamp down U.S. energy production, which is one of our key tools against Putin. So they're undermining their policy right there. The other thing they did is release Victor Boot, the so-called merchant of death, who I refer to as uh, Putin's chief military procurement officer who was in Ukraine over the weekend giving interviews about how he wants to volunteer for the fight. So we're going to send a whole bunch of more stuff to Ukraine where Victor Boot will blow it up. You know, I need I need the administration to be consistent. I need them to be serious about this. And then I think conservatives will be very willing to have this conversation. Are those things that Zelensky has brought up that we're aware of to Congress, to President Biden? I don't think he would have the option at this point. Uh, you know, Ukraine is pretty dependent on the United States. There are others who are helping. God bless them. Uh, there are some who could do more, Germany and France. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, I think I think he can't he, he couldn't take the risk of alienating the administration at this point. I don't know what his personal views are, uh, but. But, you know, what, what's he supposed to say? But, I mean, I really feel particularly, you know, I, I actually feel equally strongly about both cases, but with the Victor Boot thing, it's just shameful. They wanted the photo op, uh, mm. you know, with, I mean, and I'm glad Brittany's home. I'm sure we disagree on a number of political matters. She's American. She deserved to come home. That's fine. I would have liked to get all the Americans out. But, you know, that's not, that's not the issue. The issue is that you traded a very, very dangerous individual who is returning to the battlefield and, yeah. and you know, is going to just cost us so much heartache and misery. And this just makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when it comes to what Zelensky is for sure returning to Ukraine with, uh, we know that the Pentagon, they announced uh, this week that America will send a missile defense system known as the Patriot to Ukraine. Um, how how is this defense system going to help the people of, of Ukraine in a practical way? 
it's it's a it, you know it's a wonderful thing. One of the things I <laughs> joked about is the first thing I would do if I were back in government is order a hundred patriots. They're very expensive, so that's mm. not exactly <laughs> realistic. But what's frustrating as a policymaker, as you say, gee, I'd like a couple patriots in the Arabian Peninsula because the Houthi are firing off all sorts of nonsense, and you're informed that the patriots are resting or they're already deployed against China. Or the, I mean, it's just this constant dance of where are you going to deploy the patriots because they're so effective, everybody wants them and are much better than, say, the Russian systems. Uh, and so because Ukraine is outclassed in terms of Air Force assets, uh, and so the Russians are concentrating on bombings that you know they have trouble defending against, the Patriot battery will be enormously helpful. But this begs the question, Virginia, where, where was this thing in August? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even where was it in June? The administration had such a serious intelligence failure at the beginning of the invasion when they briefed everybody and their brother that this would be a three-day war and what they had positioned in country and what they were preparing to send would all arm the insurgency. Now, that didn't happen. And intelligence failures happen. What, What then counts is how you respond. When did they pivot to the realization that this was going to be a much more traditional uh, ground war that Ukraine had a chance to win, and why didn't they give them these tools then? You know, if if the president is concerned about escalation, and he talked yesterday about the potential for World War Three, uh, you know, it then this is escalatory. Why are you doing this? Uh, mm-hmm. There's just there's no explanation, and, and it just seems to me that he had the patriot, he the president had the patriot in his back pocket. And when he wanted to insist that Zelensky come to Washington, give him another photo op, help him get the Omni through, uh, that's when he, he decided to spend it. It has nothing to do with actually winning, winning the war in Ukraine. Mm. And what's Russia's perspective of this, of America sending a missile defense system to Ukraine? And moving forward, how should America be threading that needle between helping Ukraine without getting America fully involved in a way that threatens uh, our national security? Well, that's that's an excellent question, and I think uh, you know the the issue is that Putin put nuclear weapons on the table in the first weeks of this campaign. The minute it was clear it was not going to be a three day war, he started talking about using a nuke to try to dampen NATO's support for Ukraine. Now, at 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 that point, you know we should have made a decision. You know, nobody wants a nuclear war in Europe. Who is to blame for that? We are not. The Russians are. The Chinese need to be very clear that they've been bankrolling this escapade. And so if he does use a nuclear weapon, that stink sticks to Beijing every bit as much as it stinks to Moscow. So they need to make very clear to Putin this is something they won't tolerate. uh, And he can't cross that red line. So I think that's actually the play. But at that point, you know, this is a defensive weapon. We should have rolled that thing right on in there, as I said, in June. Uh, Putin had to assume we were going to do it. And, you know, he's not an idiot. He can see this just as well as we can, that this is the president using geopolitics for domestic political reasons. You know, the kind of it's very similar to, you know, his game with Saudi Arabia about, oh, please don't announce the price cuts till after the election because of my domestic political situation. You know, he didn't care that you know that um, you know Americans are eventually going to suffer at the pump because of his bad energy policies. He just wanted to get through the midterms. Yeah. 
Well, and what we saw this week, um, and, you know, it's been happening for a while, but Zelensky's asking America for more physical support from, you know, things like tanks to fighter jets. Is that something that America would ever consider, even if we're not considering it right now? Well, I mean, you know, I would like to keep my options open. I, I think one of the great sadnesses of the timing of this trip uh, and the way Zelensky was kept on a very short leash is it is my opinion that he should embrace American conservatives as potentially his best friends. You know, I, you know, if I had been designing the trip, and obviously this wasn't going to happen because it was a Biden show, but I would have insisted on a meeting with the Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. you know, and, and answered each and every one of their questions and said, I want you, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I want you to pass that audit. I want to open our books. I want you all to see, you know, our efforts and transparency because they're making them and it's real. You know, I I would love to have him at the Heritage Foundation, have a conversation with Kevin about the future of Ukraine, you know, know, not imposing, but introducing a conservative economic climate. You know, that would be great. And that could have been done in February or in, in January, rather, after the 118th Congress is sworn in. Uh, but it couldn't have been done now. And that opportunity was lost. And so I think going forward, I would really encourage the Ukrainians. And, you know, we welcome uh, many Ukrainian delegations to Heritage. Our door is always open to our friends, you know, to to not let the Democrats make this a black and white situation where only Democrats are your friends and conservatives are somehow isolationist and opposed to that to them. That's that's simply not the case. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying is stop playing political football with this war and actually let's get down to business and talk about real solutions. I, you know, I just I think if we're in it, we have to, we should win it. Uh, one of my main concerns is that we've been around this bush before in 2008, in 2014, 15. This has been by far and away the bloodiest and the most expensive I don't want to be doing a podcast with you in five years' time because, mm-hmm. you know, Putin was not deterred in Ukraine and has gone into Moldova, God forbid, a NATO country like Lithuania or the, one of the other Baltics. Then we are in it. That's what we have to look at. That's World War III. That's what we have to prevent. And the only way we will definitively prevent it is if Putin is handed a defeat in Ukraine. And, you know, no course of action is without its dangers. I know people are concerned that the wounded bear will lash out. Well, he's lashing out right now, and he will only do so again. We have to learn from the lessons of history. Hmm. Well, and looking to the immediate future, obviously, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine nearly about 11 months ago. Neither side is backing down. Winter's here. How are both sides going to handle the cold? It's, I mean... (laughs) Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you used you're, you look at it, they're they're used to the cold uh, mm. on both sides. And you know, one of the really shameful things about the Omni is that a bunch of uh, sort of glamour things have been stuffed into it tangentially related to Ukraine, like a like a Ukraine Freedom Park in Washington. Uh, and I don't have the line item number on that, but I don't care if it's five dollars or a hundred million dollars. The fact that we would spend money on a park in Washington instead of spending that money on gen- generators and ammunition right now is mm-hmm. is shameful. Uh, you know, this isn't about beautifying an American city. This should, if we're going to spend money on Ukraine, we should spend it on Ukraine, not Washington D.C. pork. Yeah. And so I think, you know. Being as supportive as we can within reason, um, 
you know, and and getting from the Ukrainians, you know, if if the Biden administration decides they're going to stop their hand wringing and kind of half measures, and they do want to win the war, they make a case to the American people how they think this can be done and why we should pay for it. You know, I think there are, there's a lot we could do over these coming months. Uh, and the ultimate goal would be to change Putin's calculus that he, because right now he's thinking he can't lose the war and survive. I think what we need to change his mindset to is he has to end the war to survive. Mm. And at that point, I think we could have negotiations with Kiev in a position of strength. Right now, it's kind of a stalemate. Mm. And what role does Europe play in that? And, and how involved are Ukraine's European allies in this fight? They've been very involved. And I mean, countries like the Baltics, uh, like Poland, like Romania, have really stepped up to the plate and demonstrated their value as key NATO allies to the United States. And not only have they been providing military support, but they're hosting millions of refugees in an incredibly generous, open-hearted way. And that has been really uh, great to see. They deserve tremendous credit for that. And I think you know, we ha- should have a clearer-eyed understanding of where our friends are. As I, as I said before, I do think there's more uh, that the bigger economies can do. I think particularly uh, France and Germany need to be more forthcoming in terms of the civil society support that Ukraine needs. I think the United States should be less on the hook for direct economic assistance, which we're heavily on the hook for now. It in many ways dwarfs the military aid we're sending. We should focus on the military, which we do better than anyone else. They should focus on the civil society. They're there. They're on the ground. They're neighbors. Uh, And I think clarifying that in 2023 is something that Congress can play a strong role in. Hmm. And do we have any indication? I I know you mentioned, of course, you know, five years from now, we don't want to be sitting down and essentially having the same conversation. Do we have any indication on how much longer this war could go on, is likely to go on? Zelensky had some interesting things to say yesterday, which suggested he thought it would be wrapped up in the next, sounded like six to eight months. Uh, And he would have better intel on that than I would. Certainly, we should all pray for that. And again, going back to sort of our opening discussion, it's why the energy and and Victor Bout policies are so befuddling. This war is expensive for the American people, both in terms of of contributing to inflation and energy prices, and also in terms of of an added line item on the budget. If the president's serious about bringing relief to the American people, ending the war on favorable terms, given what we've poured into it, should be his top priority. And it's just bizarre that they're running around doing things that, to my eye, are just going to perpetuate it. Mm Mm-hmm. Victoria Coates, Senior Research Fellow in International Affairs and National Security at the Heritage Foundation. Victoria, thank you so much for taking time to join us today and break this down. Thank you, Virginia. If you want to read more of Victoria Coates' work, you can just visit the Heritage Foundation website at heritage.org. But thank you so much for joining us today. That's going to be it for today's edition of Daily Single Podcast. Next week, we are hosting one of our favorite traditions right here on the show. We're going to be looking back at five of our and your favorite conversations from 2022. 
There will not be a top news edition of the show next week, but we're so thrilled to be looking back at some of these conversations with individuals like Michael Walsh and Kara Dansky. If you haven't done so already, if you would take just a moment here at the end of the year to subscribe and leave a rating and review of the Daily Signal podcast wherever you like to listen. It really helps us promote the podcast to more listeners and continue to get the word out. And we also just love hearing your feedback. But with that, we hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.